Blog Talk Radio. Healthy and Tone Radio with your host, Darren Fatman McDuck. And now, prepare to get fat. Hey, 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 what's cracking? Welcome back to another episode of Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. I'm your host, Darren Fatman McDuffie. And tonight, we should have a pretty good show tonight. We're going to be speaking with Janie Bolthorpe from the book Stop the Thyroid Madness. I'm very excited to have Janie on tonight because this is a topic that I'm, I like talking about. Did a YouTube video on this subject uh, a couple of months ago, maybe about a year ago, when I started to learn a little bit more about the thyroid and all the problems that people are having, especially women. But there's a, a lot of men out there having thyroid problems as well. And tonight we'll just talk a little bit about what's actually the problem, the right test to go through, uh, some of the things that you want to watch out for, and uh, just waiting for Janie to call in here uh, in a few. So uh, while we're doing that, um, last week's show, and this show last week kind of, kind of ties into the show this week because we were talking about uh, overcoming stress and fatigue with, with Rick Gold, who's a functional diagnostic uh, nutritionist. So uh, that we were talking about adrenals on that show, and tonight we're, we'll be getting into talking a little bit about adrenals on this show as well, and how important uh, it is to uh, take care of the adrenals when you're dealing with the thyroid as well. But you get a chance going to archives. The archives are located within iTunes. If you go to iTunes, you can go to the podcast section, and then you'd be able to actually. Um, Go in and uh, subscribe to my podcast on iTunes. It's also available in Stitcher. And there's some other platforms that I'll be um, being on as well. So you can just listen to them online. If you are a member of Blog Talk Radio, which is the platform that I own, I'm on, you can actually look at, listen to blog, to listen to the podcast on Blog Talk as well. But again, don't forget to go back and listen to that story, especially for those people who are already tired and stressed because that was a great show with Rick Gold last week. All right, so I think that this is might be uh, Janie in the switchboard here, but before I bring her on, I just wanted to read her bio. Janie is a thyroid patient, activist, advocate, author, educator, and speaker, and the creator of the highly popular Stop the Thyroid Madness website. As a thyroid patient, Janie once remained challenged by her poorly treated hyperthyroidism for 20 years, finally to discover that the medical community has been inadequately trained in the correct diagnosis, understanding, and treatment of hyperthyroidism. Her life made a major turnaround when she switched to natural desiccated thyroid, which we'll talk about tonight, and that began the movement to educate the world based on silent patient experiences and wisdom. Stop the Thyroid Madness is the flagship of those reported experiences and the wisdom gained from them from which all over groups and websites borrow their wise information. And Janie will be talking about that with us tonight. So hopefully this is her in the switchboard here. Janie, is this you? It is me. Hey. So I see you calling Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Where are you calling from, by the way? I am in two places, um, but right now I'm in Texas. Oh, okay, great. What part? Dallas, Austin. Um, I'm in. I'm near in the hill country. That's kind of the central lower part where all the trees and hills are. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I read your bio, so let's just get into um, into the show. And uh, I wanted you to kind of go into your experience because reading your experience, you went through a lot um, before you kind of came to what you're doing today. But can you share your experience with me and your and the audience? I can because it's it's kind of an interesting story that turns out affects millions of people, even if the symptoms are different. I am the daughter of a mother that had Graves' disease. Now, that's hyperthyroidism. It's kind of a thyroid on speed. And that happened to her when she was 20, and I came along a lot later when she got married. 
And I knew about that she had had this Graves disease, but I didn't think about it. For me, I was young and healthy. And I, you know, become an adult and I get married and start having children. And something happened after the birth of my second child, which, by the way, is common with some women to see problems with their thyroid um, either while they're, you know, pregnant or right after the birth. That's what happened to me. Um, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I just kept getting sick a lot. I was nursing that second baby, and I was sick all the time. Um, then I get past that, and I am pregnant with my final and third child, same thing. I give birth, and not only am I sick a lot, like I was sick every two to three weeks while I was nursing, I noticed mm-hmm. that I was weak and tired, um, and I couldn't hold my, my children very long. They were all very young, and I had to pass them to my husband, so at that time, I thought, okay, I'm just out of shape. I've had three children. So I started my own fitness business thinking that I can get out of this. I can Mm -hmm. build my muscles and, you know, do aerobic exercise and teach it to other people. And I had what would have been a very successful business, except that I didn't get better. I, in fact, got worse. So fast forward, I, I... Finally went to the doctor. I was at risk of losing my business because I was so exhausted. There were Mm -hmm. other things that went on, but I think that you get the drift. Mm -hmm. And they pronounced me hypothyroid. And Mm -hmm. that means that we who get that have a sluggish functioning uh, thyroid gland. That's the Mm -hmm. gland that's in your neck. And it it is responsible for so many things in your health and well-being. One big thing is it gives you energy. You can do what you need to do with your life. And like millions before me and after me, I was prescribed what is called Synthroid. And Mm -hmm. I thought, hooray, I'm going to get better, and we found the right amount. Well, I didn't get better. I continued to have problems for nearly 20 years while the doctors told me I'm normal, it's not your thyroid, you're adequately treated. And I just accepted that something was wrong with me and thought I'll just move on, but I had to give up my business because it was too exhausting. Moved on with my life. I had to nap all the time. I, I couldn't do jobs that entailed a lot of standing And the long story short of those nearly 20 years is it got worse. It got worse and worse, and I got to the point where I was going to have to apply for Social Security disability Hmm. because nobody could find out what was wrong with me. There were all sorts of bizarre proclamations that I had a glycogen storage disease and something was wrong with my, you know, internal genetic metabolism I even had a muscle biopsy. And the thing about me, though, Darren, Mm -hmm. is I have the personality that I don't give up. I I would give up periods of time and accept it, but then there are other times I thought, no way can anybody tell me that they can't figure this out. And all that was left, Darren, was my thyroid. I I went through everything, and I realized, Mm -hmm. wait a minute. I've been treated for hypothyroidism for 20 years. It's got to be that. Just got to be. And I found out on my own. There was this was this by this time it's it's nearing the year 2000 and I got on the internet. There was little things here or there that I wondered about. And finally, I found out about a different medication. And I will talk about that in a minute, and I got on it, and I had to do some of this on my own. I found a doctor to prescribe it, but I had Mm -hmm. to raise it, and my life made a huge turnaround. Yeah. So, Janie, you mentioned that your mother was hyperthyroid, and you were diagnosed as hypothyroid. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Now, there's a lot of people out there, and I've heard this before, that, you know, things seem to run in the family. Um, I know now from doing a lot of these shows that a lot of times it's more of things that we're not eating or things that we are eating that might 
kind of turn these things on. But how many instances have you seen it where like someone like your mother was hyperthyroid and then the offspring comes to be hypothyroid or whatever, what other thyroid conditions? It's huge. You know, since my life turned around, I became a thyroid patient activist is what I called myself. Mm-hmm. And I've been working with thyroid patients for 13 years now. And in, I work directly with them. I've been doing that this whole time. And through working with so many thyroid patients, it became clear when I would ask that a lot of thyroid patients recognized it in their families. Um, they will say, my mother had it, my grandmother had it, my, my, my sisters have it, my aunt has it. You know, it doesn't matter. There are, for the vast majority, there are going to be exceptions but for the vast majority, they see family connections. And even those like me, where, where a family member had the opposite end, hyperthyroidism, and they had what I have, hypothyroidism. So it's common. Mm-hmm. Now, with with that, um, do you see any men having the same, the same types of problems? Because I know with the men, that's a little less common, but do you see a lot of men that are coming, with, coming to start thyroid madness? Yes, um, there are a lot of men who also get thyroid disease. Is it as many as women? It doesn't appear to be, but they're out there. And sometimes I wonder if the reason it's not quite so obvious is not just because there are less men that get it, but because they cope with it better. I'm guessing there must be something to the fact that men have, of course, higher levels of testosterone. And I wonder if that plays a role in why they seem to cope with it better. But, Darren, even those men that cope with it better, there are many that have horrible problems, just like women. Yeah, men, we practically have to be falling down almost dead before we go to the doctor and (laughs) complain about anything. Yes, I I know exactly what you're saying. And and getting back and bouncing back to that first question that I asked you, so it would be very advantageous to someone who uh, may have noticed that a problem with their mother with their thyroid, and then now, you know, they might have having some of these symptoms to go get tested to see if they may have thyroid thyroid. Uh, well, let's problem. talk about that, because now we're, <clears throat> we're leading into one of several areas that I discovered as a thyroid patient activist, and later we'll get into what did I get on that changed my life. You mm-hmm. talked about testing. One reason why I remained sick for so long, and it was my thyroid and it was a crappy treatment, and the reason why so many other people are still sick and being treated is the wrong testing. In other words, early on, when my life made a complete turnaround and I realized I've got to get into this, I've got to talk to patients and learn from each other and spread the word, we saw that the common test used to diagnose hypothyroidism is terrible. It's called the TSH. Mm -hmm. That stands for Thyroid Stimulating Hormone. And the medical community has been using this since the early 70s to, quote-unquote, diagnose hypothyroidism. And the TSH is a messenger hormone released by the pituitary. Its purpose is to knock on the door of your thyroid to tell it to produce hormones. So in theory, they said, well, if we can test how much TSH a, a person's pituitary is releasing to knock on the door of the thyroid, then we'd be able to tell whether a person has hypothyroidism. False. When patients, when I started patient groups, excuse me, and we started talking, we discovered that for the majority of us, we had a quote-unquote normal TSH for years before it rose high enough to reveal that we had a thyroid problem. It goes high when it reveals it for hypothyroidism. Mm -hmm. It was astounding when we realized you can't diagnose by the TSH because by the time it was revealing that we were hypothyroid, we've been hypothyroid for years. And I know people that had a normal TSH for 15, 20 years, yet clear symptoms of hypothyroid. So with testing, what did we find out you've got to do? There are two of them. 
we're not saying don't do the TSH because the TSH will tell you if you have hypopituitary. But to tell by testing if you have a thyroid problem, those two tests are the free T3 and the free T4. Now, free means what's available and unbound. That means it's usable. T3 is the active thyroid hormone, and T4 is the storage hormone. So you want to test those. And this is based on what we observed and learned among each other. Those are what you want to test. Now, how do you, what do you look for? Well, we were looking at so much lab work that we were also seeing lab work of people who did not have a thyroid problem. And through those people, we saw that those without a hypothyroid problem and they didn't have symptoms, their free T3 was over mid-range and their free T4 was close to mid-range. So it's, it's kind of a gray how much over the free T3 was, but it was over the range and they had no thyroid symptoms. So that's yeah. what we discovered to use. Yeah, and with that, um, there are a lot of what they call what T4 treatments out there, and um, I believe that you did a T4 treatment. You mentioned at the beginning that you did Synthroid. Why why didn't that work Mm -hmm. for you? It not only didn't work for me, it doesn't work for millions. Now, granted, there are some people who do better on it, but what we saw is even those who do better eventually see more problems arising the longer they're on it. Now, why is that? We figured that out. I did in my, in my, in my activism. The thyroid doesn't make just one hormone. It makes five, and they are T4, T3, T2, T1, and calcitonin. T4 is the storage hormone. That's what the thyroid makes the most of. Its purpose is to convert to the active hormone, which is T3. So in theory, maybe they were implying that, oh boy, if we put patients on a storage hormone, which is meant to convert to the active hormone, which is T3, everybody will be fine. They'll convert what they need. False. A healthy thyroid doesn't make you dependent upon conversion. It also produces some direct T3. So no wonder being on T4 only without any direct T3 has not been working to, its, to everybody's own degree and kind. Everybody's a little different. I was the one that did the worst, and so other people have. But it doesn't work to force yourself to be dependent upon one of five hormones, namely T4. So that's what's been wrong. This is a medication which the medical community started prescribing to us by, the, by 1960. Um, Before that, we were all on a different thyroid treatment. It was pig thyroid, and it gave us all five hormones. Then in 1960, uh, a pharmaceutical decided, oh, let's promote this as a new and modern way to treat hypothyroidism. And everybody fell for it. All the doctors fell for it. Patients were put on T4. I was put on T4. Not that early. I was too young. But millions of people were put on one of five hormones, and that's why it doesn't work. Do you think, Janie, that there needs to be an overhaul of the system um, when it comes to treating thyroid problems? Because it seems to me like a lot of people are, and I don't know your experience, you've dealt with more people than I have when it comes to thyroid, but how many women do you think out there are underdiagnosed? And do we need some type of um, reevaluation of how we're treating these, these patients? Oh, Darren, definitely. See, that is the role I took on. When I looked back at 20 years of hell and being told I was normal, it was not my thyroid, when my life then changed because I got on a different treatment, and when I I realized when my life changed, oh, my gosh. I went through hell. I looked back at my mother who, after they, you know, diagnosed that she had graves, they took her thyroid out, and she became hypothyroid. And she went through hell. We didn't know why then. Mm -hmm. So I I realized I've got to play a role in practically screaming to the world, there's something wrong here. You're doing it wrong, and we're paying a price. And that became especially true when I formed my first group. That was in, I think it was 2000 or 2000, I can't remember, 2002. I formed a group on Yahoo to talk about this. 
because I was so angry at what I'd been through and so amazed how my life had now changed thanks to a different treatment that I, I wanted to talk to people. And people started joining left and right. And that's where I realized we've got to do something about this. We've got to talk. We've got to compare notes. We've got to find out what has not been working, what has been working. We've got to look at lab work. So that has been my role for 13 years, to teach the world this has not been working, here's why it hasn't been working, and here's what we as patients have found out does work. So, yes, there needs to be a huge overhaul. You mentioned uh, calcitonin as one of those hormones that the thyroid makes. And this is, and going over all this research and doing the background for the show, I kind of, my my mind works in putting two plus two together. And what I've what you see in our society now is as women get older, they have uh, osteoporosis. Could that be simply because they have a thyroid that's is not creating the calcitonin or, or just thyroid dysfunction as they as they grow older? Is it, have you seen it, that it some be. kind of connection? Connection? Okay. Yes, because I'm not saying that all causes of having bone density problems are because of low calcitonin. But Mm -hmm. I'm saying, I bet you, based on what we've learned, that a large body, especially of women, are having bone problems because they're hypothyroid and don't know it. Because your risk of becoming hypothyroid as you age, and especially for women after menopause, greatly increases. But even worse, you're, you're subjected to a lab test which can be normal and the doctor will say you're normal when you have hypothyroidism, or you're put, even if you finally are diagnosed that you have hypothyroidism as an older person, you're put on one of five hormones. Now, here's another way we especially know that this is a problem, that the bone density is because of the thyroid. By the way, it's not just calcitonin. See, calcitonin is an amino acid. It's called a polypeptide hormone, and mm-hmm. it's meant to hold the calcium in your bones. Mm-hmm. But it's not just calcitonin that makes bones healthy. It's that T3 again, that active thyroid hormone. Mm-hmm. How do we know this? You wouldn't believe the amount of people that I've worked with, when I say work with not as a doctor but as a patient talking to other patients, who had a bone density problem. And they, they were on T4. They switched to, which I'm now going to reveal is called natural desiccated thyroid, which mm-hmm. has all five hormones and you know what they came back and reported? My bone density problem went away. Hmm. I mean, so many women, they have reported that. So that told us, yep, it's, a th- it's for a lot of us, it's a thyroid problem causing our bone density problems. Um, is there any correlation between fibromyalgia? Because you see a lot of women who are coming up with these strange phantom pains that doctors <laughs> can't explain. So is there any correlation that you've seen between the thyroid uh, dysfunction and fibromyalgia? huge correlation. Now, again, I always talk about percentages because this is based on what we observe. There may be some people who have that inflammation in their joints, fibromyalgia, from other causes. But I'm saying to you, we have noticed that a large body of people who get what is called fibromyalgia, it's actually because they are either undiagnosed hypothyroid or they're poorly treated hypothyroid. Again, how do we know that the connection with fibromyalgia for a large body of people is because of hypothyroidism? Because when they get on a better treatment, Mm -hmm. and that's called natural desiccated thyroid, they see that go away, the pain, the tenderness. Of course, they have to raise it to find the right amount, but we, we can see there's a huge connection between the two. Yeah. Now, let's let's get into this natural desiccated thyroid. I found out about this a couple of years ago. But um, for those people out there who are listening, and for those of you out there who are listening and you have a question, hit one on your keypad on your phone, and I'll see you, and I will bring you on if you have a question. I see some people on the switchboard. But uh, talk a little bit about natural uh, desiccated thyroid and, you know, what it is and, you know, some of the brands out there because a lot of people haven't heard about it before. Desiccated thyroid, by the way, was uh, used primarily to treat hypothyroid from the 1890s onward. Now, it was probably used before that when people had farms because it comes from pig thyroid. But it's been used for over 110 years, 
Why is it used? Because pigs are pretty compatible with our tissue. We know that there's a lot of, like, heart valves. Um, other, I don't know them all, but they use pig tissue to, to transplant in us. They were always using that to treat hypothyroidism. They were even using sheep thyroid for a while. And then it went away. Uh, it went away when I told you around 1960 when a pharmaceutical said, oh, boy, let's promote T4 only. You know, it was a money-making scheme. And I found out about it. I mentioned that I was so ill that I did my own research. I found out about this product, desiccated thyroid. What is that? Well, the desiccated means that, you know, it comes from a, a several thyroids of pigs, and it's kind of like minced and powdered, for, for lack of a better word. It turned into a powder. And it, it gives you all five hormones from, from a pig. There are also some sources out there that come from cows. Now, those are over-the-counter products. They generally mm-hmm. come from New Zealand cows, you know, grass-fed cows. Most mm-hmm. prescriptions are pig, are porcine. And there are several different brands now that, that, have, that have come out. It used to be that the most popular brand was called Armor. In spite of what happened over the years of people being, you know, taken away from desiccated thyroid and put on Synthroid, it was still out there. There were still some people who managed to stay on it, very, very few, and the company uh, named it Armour, A-R-M-O-U-R. That mm-hmm. still exists today, but there are many more other versions now of desiccated thyroid, many more other brands that we do recommend, even more than, than Armour. So it's out there. So your challenge is to get a doctor to prescribe it and to understand how to dose it. Now, with that, there's been a lot of kind of an uproar, especially when it comes to the thyroid of gluten being one of those things that kind of uh, triggers Hashimoto's, which is autoimmune thyroid. But um, are those brands out there? Have you have you seen any brands out there that you might want to stay away from that are putting gluten in their product? Well, let's talk about that subject first about Hashimoto's. Mm-hmm. And you, you you did identify it correctly. There's a a large body of people who become hypothyroid because their body is confused and starts attacking their thyroid. And gluten can make that worse because the cells of gluten and the cells of thyroid resemble each other. And there, was, there is an opinion, by the way, among the medical community that those with Hashimoto should not be on desiccated thyroid because it will make the attack worse. Now, before I talk about gluten, I want to clarify something. Everything I've done is based on patient experiences and wisdom. And we found that Hashimoto's patients have done wonderfully on desiccated thyroid. Yes, it does increase the antibodies right at first. But we found by observing each other that as Hashimoto's patients kept raising desiccated thyroid, it appeared to tone those antibodies down. They started falling in a lot of people. We think that's because... It, it improves your immune system. So that, you know, uh, um, Hashimoto's is a, a crazy immune reaction, mm-hmm. and it improves that, and they go down. Other people take extra supplements to bring those antibodies down. Everybody just has to find out. So I want to say with Hashimoto's, many people do wonderfully on desiccated thyroid. Now, what's the connection with gluten? It's what I said. We have uh-huh. found that the majority, not all, there are exceptions, the majority of Hashimoto's patients need to get off of gluten because they notice when they eat it, they get worse. Their inflammation goes up and the antibodies go up. So we do see that the majority need to get off. Now, there are people that come on and they will say, um, I, I have no problem with gluten, and they have Hashis. And they seriously don't seem to have any problem, and they've been eating it for years, but the majority need to be off. Yeah, and I know there's been a, a big uproar on that, and uh, there's varying opinions on that. Um, there's opinions on this, too, and I want to get to the bottom of it. Um, with someone who has Hashimoto's, I've heard different things about supplementing with iodine and not supplementing with iodine. I've heard different things about uh, adding selenium in with the iodine. You've done this real world. What's What's the deal? Okay, I want to say something. You just said you saw a lot of opinions. Mm-hmm. That is why I don't do opinions. That is why <laughs> Stop the Thyroid Madness is based on our experiences. So just as we discovered with our experiences that the 
majority of patients need to be off gluten and that there are some who do fine with it. We also discovered, contrary to opinion, that a lot of Hashimoto's patients do wonderful with iodine. You just have to find out if that's you. Now, why is that? Because we think that one of the causes, we think, of Hashimoto's is low iodine. And the reason we think that is because there are a lot of Hashi's patients who bucked the opinion out there about iodine and Hashi's, got on iodine, and they reported that iodine lowered their antibodies. So we know that desiccated thyroid has lowered antibodies in some. We know that iodine has lowered antibodies in some. But we've also learned over the years that with iodine, you need to prepare yourself for it because it's going to cause you to detox. So selenium is one way you prepare yourself for it. You take selenium for up to a month before you get on iodine, and it appears to help people have less problems when they're detoxing because iodine is going to cause you to detox things like chloride and bromide, and, and it's not comfortable. So patients start low and build up. If they've been on selenium, it seems to make it an easier transition with iodine. And there are other nutrients that we talk about. Mm-hmm. So selenium for a month and then do the iodine? Is, did I hear that correctly? Say that again. Say that selenium, again. Selenium for a month and then do your iodine because it's causing you to yes. detox. Okay, That's great. kind of the, you know, I'm not an iodine expert, but I've been gathering information from the iodine experts, and that's pretty much what they're saying. Um, mm-hmm. the, the amount of iodine we see recommended is 200 to 400 micrograms. Mm-hmm. And there are other nutrients. If you go to Stop the Thyroid Madness and you type in iodine, it'll take you to a page that talks about those other supporting nutrients. That came from a gal named Lynn Farrow who, mm-hmm. who came up with that term. And that will help you when you start on iodine. And patients start low and, and build up to find the amount they like. Now, by the way, here's something cool about iodine. If you choose to get on it, by the way, there, there's two things I want to say, by the way, about. We think it's wise to do a test to see if you need iodine first. Yes, it does appear that, that a lot of us need it. But there is a test called the iodine loading test. It is, you order it yourself. It's, you, you take samples of your urine after you've taken an iodine tablet, and they'll explain how to do it, and then you send it in, and it will tell you if you even need iodine. I did, and I was low. So that's the first thing I want to say. We feel as patients that it's important to be responsible, find out if you need it. The second thing with iodine that is so cool, especially for women, is it removes fibrocystic breast disease. You know, those fibers that that can congregate Mm -hmm. in women's breasts. So Mm -hmm. that implies that fibrocystic breast disease is related to low iodine. And so once women have been, and I'm one, once you get an iodine, it goes away. And what is so, you know, valuable about that fact is they say that fibrocystic breast disease is a precursor to having breast cancer. There are genes that do it too, mm-hmm. but who wants to have that precursor? So that's another plus about iodine if you need it. Yeah, and uh, you just cleared every, a lot of that up for me. And one of the reasons why I respect you is that you're doing this real world. A lot of times what you come across in this, you know, nutrition and the health and all this stuff, and you and you probably know this, is that there are people out there who are saying things that they might have gotten from studies and they're not doing the real world stuff. And a lot of times what we we get from studies and what we get from real world is totally different. And I, I like real world stuff. But um, getting back to the desiccated thyroid, you work with people is there a case when it doesn't work, and if it doesn't work, what are they doing wrong? Yes. There, we learned this early on. When, when the group that I formed in 2002 was growing and growing and growing, there were people coming on who had not yet gotten on it, and they, they could see how, I mean, my life made a complete 180-degree turnaround. And other people were saying the same thing. So they wanted to get on it. And there were some people, strangely to us then, that when they got on it and tried to raise it, because you have to raise it to find your optimal dose, they were getting really hyper on low doses. They were getting anxiety and shakiness, didn't feel well. Well, it took us about a year or so to realize why. You will not do well raising your desiccated thyroid unless you have 
the right amount of cortisol and the right amount of iron. Now, here's what's big about that. People who remain undiagnosed because their doctor used the TSH or people who are poorly treated on Synthroid and or other T4-only meds have a high chance of acquiring an iron or adrenal problem. Namely, if you're hypothyroid, either from being undiagnosed or poorly treated, you don't absorb nutrients as well, so iron falls. And without the right amount of iron, you get into trouble with a wonderful, powerful treatment like desiccated thyroid when you're raising it. The same with your adrenals. If you're undiagnosed, thanks to the TSH, which can say you're normal for years even though you're not, or if you're poorly treated on Synthroid or any other T4-only med, what happens is your adrenals get stressed. In other words, they have to kick in to make more cortisol to keep you going. So they make more and more cortisol to keep you going, and there comes a point, we don't know exactly when, it might be six months for some people, two years for others, they stop making as much cortisol. You, you move down into low cortisol. And if you have either high cortisol or low cortisol and you're trying to raise desiccated thyroid, you also get into trouble. So we had to learn as patients on our own what to do about it. And I've got that in the books. Like the first book is, is the revised Stop the Thyroid Madness in Chapter 6, How We Learn to Treat It, and I've got some of it on the website. Here's how we learn to treat it, totally based on our experiences and the wisdom from it. Yeah. Now, getting back to adrenals, which you mentioned, and um, if I'm working with someone and I realize that they have an adrenal problem and I do a test and realize that they have a thyroid problem, what am I going to solve for her, so to speak? Should I work on adrenals first and then thyroid, or how does that how does that go? Okay, wonderful question. Understand that good health, that you, on the opposite side, if you have good health, that's because many things are working right, okay? It's like a symphony. A symphony will sound good because there's many different kinds of instruments playing. Conversely, if your body has a lot of problems, we decided and found that we've got to work on them at the same time to feel better. So, yes, if we have both adrenals and thyroid problem, we're working on both at the same time. Now, granted, you cannot raise your desiccated thyroid or your T3. You can't raise that very high if you have low cortisol. But we found, and it was really what I observed and spread the word because I talked to so many people, that the majority of people with a cortisol problem can tolerate up to 90 milligrams of desiccated thyroid. That's called one and a half grains. One grain is 60 milligrams. The majority can tolerate that much. If they go higher than 90 milligrams, a.k.a. one and a half grains, they start having problems. Then there is a smaller group who can't even go above one grain, which is 60 milligrams. There's an even smaller group that can't go above a half a grain without having problems. But everybody has to find how much can I tolerate, meaning how much will not make me feel hyper, while I'm working on my adrenals. So that's what we do. We find the small amount we can tolerate, and we work on our adrenals at the same time. And sex hormones, and iron, whatever else is wrong. So you're, you're pretty much like, Attacking everything at the same time. I don't want to say attack, but you're working on everything yeah. at the same time. Okay. Yeah, to the okay. best of our knowledge of what's wrong we are, because like I said, a healthy body is is a result of a symphony of things working right. Your adrenals, your thyroid, your heart function, your kidneys, your liver, all those. When those are working right, you feel good. So we surmise, hey, it's got to be the same way in trying to feel better that let's work on everything to the best of our knowledge at the same time because we think we feel like that will promote feeling better sooner. Yeah, and the adrenals also make something called um, aldosterone. Um, have mm -hmm. you seen any problems with people um, with, uh, you know, low aldosterone levels? How does that affect the thyroid? Okay, let me explain to your listeners that there are two main steroids made by your adrenals. One is cortisol, and that's what helps you cope with stress, and it, it also brings um, sugar to your cells for energy, blah, blah, blah. 
the other steroid is called aldosterone. And aldosterone plays a role of making sure your body hangs on to the right amount of fluids. So thus it affects your, your blood pressure, make sure, make sure your blood pressure is good. Well, we noticed that it, we're kind of guessing that at least 50% of those who find themselves with low cortisol also start to have low aldosterone. Now, let me explain, and, and, and you know how they know it by symptoms? They figured it out by symptoms even before they did the test because they had one or, one or two symptoms. One was they were peeing a lot, and especially at night. It can happen at the daytime, but especially at night they kept getting up a lot to pee. Well, remember what I said? Aldosterone helps you hang on to your fluids. If your aldosterone falls down, you're going to get rid of more fluids. And the second re- way, now not everybody notices that, but a majority do. So there's another way people could see that they might have low aldosterone. It causes you to crave salt more than normal. And that's because when you're peeing a lot, whether you notice it or not, guess what is coming out with that pee? Sodium. So your body makes you desire sodium to replace what is coming out of you. So that's a second symptom that people have noticed with low aldosterone. They crave salty foods. So if you have those symptoms or you notice blood pressure problems or you're sweating a lot, there's a minority that sweat more than normal versus those that pee a lot, it's time to get an aldosterone test. Now, here again is our observation and our experiences. The, uh, the aldosterone range is generally 0 to 30 or 2 to 28, but that's very similar. You know what we saw? Those who were around mid-range or lower had symptoms of low aldosterone. So now we learn to say low aldosterone, low aldosterone conforms to around mid-range or lower with the symptoms. So that's what you look for. And I've got a, a, a page on it on Stop the Thyroid Madness, and I have a lot about it in the revised in book. Yeah, and they said that, um, and now it kind of makes sense when you, you talked about aldosterone because they always say that if you have a problem with your adrenals that you crave salty foods and you just made that connection for me. Um, yeah, a lot of people, not everybody, because remember, yeah. not everybody with low cortisol gets low aldosterone, but if you're craving salt, uh-oh, you've got a problem with the second steroid that the adrenals mm-hmm. make. Mm-hmm. And doesn't doesn't that correlate with blood pressure, aldosterone as well? Like your, yeah. your blood pressure? Yeah, uh, there, okay. there, it does. It messes up your blood pressure. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that all reasons for, you know, having a blood pressure problem are because of low aldosterone. We just know that on the other side of the point, low aldosterone can cause a blood pressure problem in a lot of people. Not all, but in a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um Thyroid, and you've done this for years, and I'm going to ask this question for those who might have, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, thyroidectomy, where they had their thyroid surgically removed. And I also know someone who has only half of their thyroid. Have you worked with people like that before? Oh, yes, because they're out there. I'll tell Mm -hmm. you something about that. There is a good reason why some people have their thyroids removed. And there is a bad reason. We have seen people who had their thyroids removed when they didn't need to. And they had it removed because they had Hashimoto's, and it was causing there to be lumps on the thyroid and it was swelling. And they didn't need to have it removed. They realize now, they report back to us, all they had to do was adequately treat it. And those nodules would have gone down and they would have been better. So there are a group of people who regret that. Why did my doctor do that? That's, all, that's what doctors do. They were, you know, surgeons. But there are some people, excuse me, who have their thyroid removed for a good reason. Um, two of them. The main one is cancer. Mm-hmm. And it, it, we're not, we haven't yet, we, we're coming close, I think, to figuring out how to treat it without having the thyroid removed. There's some speculation, but we're not there yet. So most people who have cancer have their thyroid removed, and I don't blame them. There's a small percentage of those with Hashimoto's that it went on so long that their um, inflamed thyroid is pressing on their ability to breathe, so they have theirs removed. But yes, there's a, a lot of people who have had it removed, and, oh, my gosh, all the more if you use common sense that they want to be on all five hormones, not one of five. 
so more and more of them are going over to desiccated thyroid. Mm-hmm. Um, the last 15 minutes, I kind of wanted to focus on some solutions. <laughs> and um, with that, how can you find a doctor that's open to listening to you as a patient? Because I know a lot of times people will walk in and they just accept what the doctor gives them. And then if they challenge the doctor, and I've had this experience myself on another issue, that I challenged the doctor on something and he did not like it. And um, But <laughs> how, how can you find a practitioner who is open and a practitioner who may not know it all but is open to open to learning you know if you go in there and you have a, an issue with your thyroid okay there are two strategies or maybe three that you've got to employ to find a good doctor to work with the first thing you've got to understand we as patients found you've got to quit putting all your eggs in the doctor's basket in other words we had to stop walking in that office, and whatever he said or she said, that's what we're going to do. In other words, not using our brain, suspending our intelligence, looking at a doctor like he's God or she's God. They're not. Yes, they've got great education, but we've learned when it comes to this, they don't know a lot of them what they've been doing. Excuse me, and we know that because we've been sick. So that's the first thing. You've got to enter that office and expect it to be a partnership not you giving up your intelligence and your own decisions. So the second thing is to to make this work with a doctor, you have to become informed. That is my role. That's the role I took on 13 years ago. My role is to educate patients based on what other patients have learned successfully. So the way you become informed, that's where Stop the Thyroid Madness comes in. I started forming this website in December of 2005. I did it because at that point we had had over three years, two, two, three, four, almost four years of talking in these groups and comparing notes and finding some things out. So I started compiling them on the website with the intent to educate patients because what doctor is going to listen to Janie Bolthorpe? Who is Janie Bolthorpe? You know, that's the way I felt in 2005. But if I mm-hmm. educated patients about what other patients were learning, those patients can go in the doctor's office and say, here's what I want to do, or ask for the right things. Now, that website has been added to all these years, and then I came out with a book because a lot of people said the website overwhelms me. It's hard mm-hmm. for me. You know, They would say things like it's hard to go through, and I, I get overwhelmed. So that's where I created the book. That's called the Revised STEM Book because I revised it in 2011. It's got all the people in the front. That's the second way you've got to become informed because if you don't go in there informed, even with a better doctor, there's a good chance you're not going to get completely well. You're going to still have problems because they're not caught up with us yet. So that's the second thing. First thing, get rid of this attitude that you're giving up your intelligence and be sure to expect it to be a partnership. Number two, become informed. Go to the website. I've got the book for you. It's a great way to become informed. That leads to number three. How do you find a good doc who's going to respect your knowledge and let you work with them as a team? It's not easy. There are now several, a couple of ways to do it, but I think the best way, because I've employed it, is start calling around or going to the pharmacies. Start with the closest one and go farther out if you need to. Go to that pharmacist, not necessarily the tech, but the pharmacist and say, What doctor is prescribing desiccated thyroid? It is not meant to be a secret. There's nothing wrong with them telling you. I know of no privacy of them telling you what doctor is doing it. You will usually find out. And that's how I always get my doctors is I ask the pharmacy. If I move, I go to a pharmacy. So that's you find out at the bottom at least one who prescribes desiccated thyroid. But remember, even if you find a doctor who prescribes desiccated thyroid, there's a good chance they're not going to understand what a starting dose is. They're not going to understand how to raise it. They're not going to understand your lab work. So that's where number two came in. You've got to learn this stuff. So in summary, three things. Stop giving up yourself in that doctor's office. Expect it to be a partnership. Number two, start becoming informed. Get the revised STEM book. You can also look at the website. There's different information on both. And number three, 
Go to a pharmacist and say, who prescribes it? Even if you have to go farther and farther out, you'll find one. Just keep trying, working on it. Mm -hmm. Now, for those people out there who might not suspect that they have a thyroid issue, how can we have better thyroid health or keep our thyroids intact? Okay, let's talk about, let me answer that in two ways. How do you know you might have a thyroid issue and you haven't done labs yet or you've been told you're normal? Mm-hmm. There are some key symptoms. They can be different from person to person, but some of the key symptoms are having to take a nap every afternoon or recognizing you don't have the stamina of other people or noticing that you have depression that you didn't used to have or drier skin or drier hair, like you might be able to go a long time before you have to wash it and you didn't used to be that way or you're having to put a lot of lotion on your hands. Those are some examples or a fast heart rate. You know, hypothyroid can cause you to uh, get out more adrenaline and your heart rate goes up. There there are more, um, but that's an example. And if you see any any of those things going on, then it's time to go get the right tests mm-hmm. and do does testing confirm what my symptoms are showing me? Now, some of those symptoms I told you about could also be true on Synthroid or Levoxyl or Levothyroxine because it doesn't work well. So you can also know that this is not the treatment for you by if you're fatigued easily, don't have the stamina, um, you have dry skin, dry hair, your hair is falling out, your outer eyebrows are thinning, you have aches and pains that you didn't used to have, you have inflammation. There's a whole bunch of symptoms listed on the website. So that's what you look for. And then you learn which labs to get so that you can walk in there and say, this is the labs I want. And no, I do not want to go by the TSH because in all likelihood it's going to be normal. Sometimes it will rise high enough, but you want to go by those. Now, what was the other part of your question? I already forgot. No, I'm just I, <laughs> that's okay. I was just saying how if you don't have an issue right now, and you oh, want to you maybe yeah, avoid an issue later on. How do you start protecting your thyroid? That's a hard question because it, 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 you may be able to protect it, but you may not be able to. Because mm-hmm. we had to ask, why are so many people coming down with thyroid disease? And we don't know for sure, but we think of a couple of things as to why. In other words, not just genetics. Genetics is a strong reason. But we think that we are being exposed to a lot of toxins in our water and what we drink. So looking back, it probably would have been better if we had been eating cleaner. In other words, not just going to these fast food joints and not buying all the fried food in the regular restaurants and not doing all that frying stuff and being careful what you buy and what you eat. Because we know that the thyroid is going to appreciate those nutrients. And, excuse me, so, and, and plus in your water, we wonder, stuff in what we're drinking and what we're being exposed to. So another thing you could try is having a water filter. Because a lot of us are discovering that our water is not, it, it, everybody, every town has standards, but there's still things in there. And even when you grow your own food, there's things in, in there. So you just got to be real careful what we eat and what we're drinking. Maybe get a filter for the water. Uh, another thing is stress. <clears throat> what stress does is it raises your cortisol. And cortisol, when it goes high, it's going to prevent T4 from converting to T3, and then you come, become what's called secondary hypothyroidism because of the high cortisol. So, so in addition to eating right, watching what you're drinking, watch your stress levels. You know, and, and, and any other, you know, mild exercise, anything that you have learned promotes good health, maybe you could avoid it. And then the other thing is iodine. If you don't have hypothyroidism, we would strongly recommend that you get your iodine tested because we think there are a certain percentage of people that get it because of low iodine. It doesn't mean they can get rid of it once they get it. We haven't always seen that. It improves everything, but maybe you could nip it in the bud by making sure your iodine levels are where they're meant to be. So does all that make sense? Yeah, it does. And a lot of people out there think that they're getting a much-needed iodine from the salt that they're, that they're um, no. eating and they're not getting enough. So that makes a, a ton of sense to me. So, uh, yeah. Janie, the book, the, 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say the book is called Stop the Thyroid Madness, and you can get this book on Amazon. And I was looking on Amazon the other day, and I, it looked like it, you had – was it a, a revised edition, and it was a new cover? Um, well, let me explain what, what's happened. Um, okay. I did the revised in book, and it was totally based on patient experiences and wisdom on how to get well. So that's what you're going to read. It's got all the people on the front. That's a revised edition. It occurred to me after that came out that eventually I'm going to want to do a second book, but I'm going to do it differently. In other words, yes, educating patients has started to change the way doctors practice. Not all of them, but it started. Mm -hmm. It it changed the way patients walk into offices. But it hit me, what if I came out with a book that each chapter was written by a doctor? And what he wrote confirmed what we had already learned. So last year, I I thought of this in 2013, started uh, in January of 2014, finding doctors that I thought were knowledgeable enough to write on subjects that we know are good, like about desiccated thyroid, about why we get adrenal fatigue, about nutrition, and I found them. It was hard. (laughs) And (laughs) I had to kind of... It was, it was awkward and hard because, you know, no doctor is going to know as much as we know yet. They're getting there, some of them. But I would assign a topic. i say, here's the topics I've got. Are you, you know, strong in this? And I would kind of guide them what I need them to say. And we did it. That, that's called Stop the Thyroid Madness 2. Okay. And it's a white that's cover wonderful. with a doctor's coat on it. Every chapter is written by a physician, a practitioner. And it, it underscores what we've learned. Now, it doesn't have quite the detail of patient knowledge in every area. I think you still mm-hmm. need the first one, but this one, is, it's, what's neat about it is other uh, practitioners are hearing about it and getting it and saying, oh, my God, my own colleague is promoting the use of desiccated thyroid. My own colleague is recognizing that you can have low cortisol without having Addison's. My own colleague is promoting nutrition. So that's the second book. It's the white one with the doctor's coat on it. Some people ask me, well, which one should I get if I'm just starting out? Start with the revised STEM book. So that is patient to patient. Then you can get into what other doctors are saying. A lot of people are ordering both of them, but in that, that order, that's what they read. Because remember I said, you've got to become informed if you want to get well because you are going to have to guide even the better doctor about some things. Yeah, I think what's happening too, Janie, is that a lot of patients are coming in there educated, and what they're finding is doctors never realize that they're running a business, and if the patient isn't satisfied, they're going to go elsewhere, and some of these doctors are having to change from what they just learned in medical school because the patients are coming in there educated. There's the Internet. There's podcasts like this where they're listening to these things, and they're going into the doctor and saying, hey, do you know about this? And then the doctor's like, nope. Well, it's like, I'm going somewhere else. So it, oh, it's yeah. Become, yeah, it's becoming a necessity for doctors to kind of be up on their game, so to speak, because they're losing patients and they they can't you know they can't afford that. Well, they don't. They don't. I don't think they get it because I, as, as the creator of Stop the Thyroid Madness, I support and tell people if you have a doctor that says no to this and no to that, you need to find a better doctor. Fire him. <laughs> Go get another doctor. And, and and it's hard. It's hard to have to keep hunting. But you can do it. You know, one thing I didn't mention earlier, and I'll say it real quick, one another bottom line to finding a good doctor, you know, I talked about going to a pharmacist asking who prescribes it. Another good bottom line is finding a man or woman who practices medicine that doesn't have a gigantic ego. In other words, you want a doctor that is at least willing to listen to what you've been learning. And, and and listen to it and discuss it with you and maybe let you try it. That's a bottom line, too. And most, most endocrinologists, by the way, have been so awful to say patients. They come back to the groups and they're disgusted with most endocrinologists. It's not endocrinologists who are helping patients get well. It's MDs and DOs and nurse practitioners and, you know, right. some naturopaths. Yeah, yeah, I, I I know. I've I've been down that road. <clears throat> now, your um your uh, I'm not going to keep you much longer, but your website is called stopthethyroidmadness.com and you have 
so much information on there. I checked it out a couple of days ago and uh, just briefly went back over today before I interview. But um, you have forums on there where people can go in and actually get involved with learning more about the thyroid. There's a, a lot of information on there. And um, it's uh, what? StopTheThyroidMadness.com. They can also purchase the book through Amazon. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to add before I before I let you go? Well, I wanted to say something. You can get the book anywhere, but Amazon does not always carry a lot of them. They run out, and you have to wait weeks and weeks and weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't want to wait, go to the publishing company. Any link called Stop the Sign with Madness will take you to the publishing company directly and order from there. So either way, I don't care. It's everywhere, but a lot of people don't like that, that wait time. So if you want it immediately, the publishing company will send it out in 24 to 48 hours. Um, if you are overwhelmed, I, I actually do recommend the revised STEM book, along with all the people in the front first, mm-hmm. because patients came back and report that's easier for them to understand. They can highlight different parts. They found the website overwhelming. So it's just up to you. Um, there are there are things on both the website and the book that are the same. There are some things in the website that are not in the book. There are some things in the book that are not on the website. So it's just up to you. And you, we also are connected to some good groups. You mm-hmm. go to Stop the Thyroid Madness and go to the page called Talk to Others and scroll down and you'll see a lot of different groups. I don't run them, but there's the FTPO groups on Facebook. Try to stay true to patient experiences and wisdom on Stop with Thyroid Madness. That would be a good one to try, and there's a lot of others. So talk to other patients. Read the book, get informed, and let's start the journey to getting well again. Yeah. Janie, thank you so much. I really enjoyed you being on. I was actually excited for the show, and when you agreed to come on, I was jumping up and down. So, <laughs> but thank well, you good. so much. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to come on. Thank you so much for uh, coming on. I, re- I really appreciate it. You're welcome. All right. Have a good night. All right. All right. Tons of information on that show. And again, you can go to StopTheThyroidMadness.com. Everything that we talked about on the, on the show is located on the website. And uh, you can get in some of these groups if you're having problems with your thyroid. And again, like Janie said, go to a doctor that's open. A lot of doctors are some doctors are closed-minded. I won't say a lot of them or all of them, but some doctors are closed-minded, and they have big egos. And if you're going to someone like that, there's nothing wrong with seeking someone who's going to value your opinion and value what you're learning because you're a part of that experience as well, and you are a part of your treatment. So many people place their health in the doctor's hands. And I've seen this. I saw this with my own mother. When there's nothing that they can do more for you, they don't have any more prescriptions that they can give you, they're done. And I saw that with my mom with with her cancer. And um, you have to be your own best cheerleader. You have to go in there and know your stuff and take your treatment in your hands. So hopefully you enjoyed the show and you learned a lot. Again, you can listen to this show over through iTunes if you're going you want to subscribe on iTunes and another thing is that the link that you use to click on for the show or if you go on the events page that I put on Facebook that's the exact link you can go in and listen to the show again so normally when the sh- I shut the show down uh it takes probably maybe 10 to 15 minutes maybe the most 30 before you can go in and click that link again and then you can listen to a replay of the show and that's for all the shows so if you want to save these links via Facebook or copy them and paste them onto a text uh, text uh, file on your computer. You can just go in and input them back into your computer later on and listen directly through there. Next week will be another good show. We will be talking about flavor and how much flavor has changed. It's called The Dorito Effect, and there will be a gentleman on by the name of Mark Schatzker, I think, if I'm pronouncing his name right. And um, I'm reading in the process of reading a book now. I should be finished the book by next Wednesday, but there's some crazy things that are going on with our food supply and how we're, we're being tricked into uh, believing that we're eating, well, we're eating chicken, but we don't know the flavor and how we get the flavors. This is going to be a real educational show, so I'll invite you back next Wednesday at 8 p.m. And actually, I'm going to take that show uh, a little earlier, and it'll be an on-demand show, meaning that you can click on it any time and listen to it. So me and, me and Mark will be on Skype, and I'll just record that, and it'll be on-demand show. But trust me, it's going to be a very enlightening show. I'm already surprised about some things that I 
I knew about but didn't know the depths of it. But next week we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that with Mark. And then the week after, um, I think I, I'm trying to get um, Paleo from A to Z, uh, a guy named Daryl Edwards. He's from London, England, and he wrote a book called Paleo from A to Z. And that will probably be an on-demand show just simply because he's in England. I mean, here we might have to do that sometime later on during the week or maybe on a weekend and just record that show. And then the last show for 2015, I just I need a break, will be the ketogenic diet. I'll have Jimmy Moore back. Jimmy Moore um, wrote the book, The uh, Cholesterol. Um, forget the name of the book, but it was on cholesterol. But this new book is The Ketogenic Diet. Well, he'll get in specifically things that he's been doing to lose weight. And I believe Jimmy at one point was over 400 pounds. And um, he kind of worked and worked and worked and got his weight down through this ketogenic diet. Very good diet is used for cancer, and we talked about it on another show. Long I th- did a show when I first started when we talked a little bit more about the ketogenic, but the ketogenic diet. But he gets a little bit more in-depth with that. And, again, that will be the last show. I'm taking December off, and then I'll be back in January of 2016 and working on a schedule of two shows a week, Monday and Wednesday, and we'll have a lot more uh, guests on, a lot more stuff that you want to hear in the health and wellness world. So thanks again for listening tonight. I'll be back next week, same fat time, same fat channel. Peace and love, y'all. See you soon.